you like Grant Fisher, I told him I'd give this shout out, but he just came out with a new podcast called The Half Step Pod. He's doing it with a former teammate of his, Connor Lane, and a really good listen behind the scenes action of what it's like to be a professional. episode of the half step pod i am your co-host connor lane and across from me on zoom as always grant fisher grant how you doing man doing great um yeah having a good week so far heading out tomorrow uh today is wednesday the 12th of may so we leave tomorrow um heading down to la for 1500 for me um couple other people running some fives, some tens. We're, we're kind of all over the place, but a lot of the team's racing. So uh, people are getting excited. It feels like, feels like we're getting into the bulk of the race season again. Yeah, which you definitely are. Uh, I know last week we talked a little bit about 1500s or, you know, your race in general. You, you get to talk to Jerry yet about race plan at all, or is that still pending? <laughs> um, haven't heard a ton about race plan. He hasn't said much. Um, we had a workout yesterday and it was pretty tough. Um, so he's certainly not taking it light on us leading into this thing. So, um, yeah, I, this isn't at least for the, the guys in the 15, this isn't like the, the home run race of the season. So just, uh, getting the wheels turning again, getting sharpened up a little bit and, um, getting used to being in a race where you're surrounded by people and got to figure out how to race, you know, solve problems and, um, you know, sort through whatever situation you're in. So, um, yeah, all I know is that Jerry wants us to race and not like time trial. So it should be a good one. Nice. Yeah. I mean, I would hope this is not the setup for the home run race of the season. Uh, it's just, <laughs> yeah. just this being it. Yeah. I wouldn't want to leave it all out there and have nothing left. Yeah. So 1500 on deck. Do you know about the field outside of your guys or which Bowerman guys are in the 15 with you? And then like, what's the rest of the field looking like? Yeah. As of right now, uh, as far as the Bowerman team would be, uh, Mark is running the 15. I'm in it. Kieran, um, JT, I think Centro is coming down for it. I think Mo might be coming back for it. Um, so he's hungry. Got... Is Mo hungry for another shot at it after last weekend? Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, I don't think he's too pleased with that one. Um, just his first race in quite a long time, and for sure, I think you know getting getting the rust off the legs. So I think he's he's fired up to to give it another another crank. So um, yeah, we have those guys. Plus, uh, looking at the field, I feel like there are a lot of like three thirty six. 335 to 337 guys in the field. So it should go pretty quick. Um, it, that's a competitive lot. And I'm sure a lot of these pure 15 guys will be looking for a standard. So um, I'd imagine it won't be a sit and kick affair, but um, there most likely will be some traffic. Uh, so good practice. No, definitely. I mean, that's something that maneuvering around in that is a super important part of championship racing i uh are you excited also to get down to sea level get that <laughs> get that full air for the first time in a minute yeah it's always a good feeling dropping down and uh, uh you know people say it's like having an extra lung you know when you drop down from from an altitude camp down to sea level so um looking forward to that you know sometimes it's hit or miss some people feel terrible coming out at altitude some people feel great some people like to drop down two weeks before they race it's 
it's all over the board. Um, usually I've felt pretty good dropping down and racing straight away and then uh, coming right back up to altitude. So um, I, I'm pretty confident with, with the plan. Biologically, an extra long doesn't actually sound like it would be that much of an asset. <laughs> I don't even know where it would go. Like in the, I don't, that, that but I mean, I, I, under, I understand what you mean. You know, I, I think that <laughs> definitely we'll, we'll be operating off of that that what increased red blood cell or, or whatever whatever the the backbone of altitude camp kind of is yeah yeah hopefully i have some extra red blood cells here um or a higher percentage of red blood cells in my blood than than normal so um yeah hopefully i can use that to to my advantage a little bit in this 15 well the good news is that's nothing that's over the uh the legal limit as as you'll confirm in a little bit here. Just we were gonna we were gonna record apologies to everyone we told uh would be this would be out on like Wednesday morning or something. We were gonna record last night and then Usada showed up at at the Bowerman camp to, to run some tests. So that that ended up being a couple hours long, I feel like. Kind of a it, tough night, huh? Yeah, yeah. Um I'm in a house with eight people on the team and so when the drug testers come they usually try to test all of us in one big sweep there are certain protocols that they have to follow so they aren't allowed to inform all five or six of us that we're being tested when they first show up because once they inform you that you're being tested you have to like stay within eyesight of them so to ensure that you don't like do anything shady um so we were kind of just sitting around waiting um for our turn to potentially get tested and I was selected. So, um, yeah, I had to pee in a cup and got some blood drawn and, um, yeah, that's, that's part of the game, the, the drug tests. Um, yeah, the way they kind of work there, a few people ask questions about this, so I'll try to be quick about this one, but the way that it works is at least in the U S uh, you're tested by USADA mostly, uh, which is the U S anti-doping association, um, there are other bodies that can test you like WADA, which is the world anti-doping agency. Uh, and that covers obviously people from across the world, but USADA just focuses on us athletes. And, um, there's a one hour slot a day that you are required to tell them where you are and guarantee that you will be there, uh, so that they can come test you. So mine is in the morning because usually, you know, I'll be in bed asleep and they'll come and wake me up or whatever. And it, it has, it's a low risk chance that I won't be there for some weird reason. Um, and then additionally, you have to tell them where you're going to be pretty much all day long. Um, so if you're going to be doing a workout an hour away, you have to, you know, put, you know, you're driving there, you're going to be at the track for this long and then coming back. Um, similarly, if you, you know, are out and about doing whatever, Technically, you're supposed to update it and let them know where you are because they can show up at any time. Um, I think they technically show up in the middle of the night. Uh, so you have to give overnight locations as well, uh, all travel details. So they kind of have you, you know, on a tracker. Pinned, man. Yeah, they got you on a tracker. Um, I know people have complained in the past, you know, it can be annoying and a nuisance to, to update the whereabouts all the time, but it, it's part of the job. You know, it's like, it's what you have to do. And, uh, you know, if, if me updating my whereabouts every day for five minutes, uh, if that can like clean up the sport or, you know, if they're going to be strict about it, like if, if that exposes people that are cheating, then, you know, so be it. That's if five minutes a day, isn't that bad at all. So, um, 
yeah, that's kind of the way drug testing works. It, it's a little more complicated as you get, uh, you know, different governing bodies. If you're from a different country, um, different units that can or test a little you. less complicated. Yeah, or less complicated depending <laughs> on where you are, I guess. Um, <laughs> but yeah, part of the game, um, part of the sport. Uh, unfortunately, it's you know, running has a history of people cheating, so it is a necessary aspect. And um, if I can help keep the sport clean, then uh, then I'm happy to do that. I have a question. Yeah. Do they, uh, do, so like if you're at the mall or something and they show up at your house, you know, and it's not within your hour of guaranteed, will they like text you? Do you have time to get back or is it, or will they stand there and like not, you know, not go, but they're knocking on the door and you're not there or will they like reach out? Is there a way to kind of connect it or do you just kind of have to get lucky and, and come back? How does that work? <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I do think it varies based on country but at least for us athletes um like if i were to go to the mall for two hours and i don't write it down and submit it to uh usada and they show up at my house they'll call if it's out of window Um, so they'll call if it's out of window they'll they'll call but you'll have an hour to show up so yeah you couldn't be like oh sorry like i'm on vacation you know (laughs) like it I've been at a restaurant before and they call and they're at my house and I have to leave the restaurant and go back. Or sometimes they'll like come to the restaurant and test you there. Um, nice. but, but you have to be within an hour of where you're supposed to be. Um, it's different in window, that one hour window that you give each day, they won't call you. Um, so that's where people in the past couple of years have gotten in trouble sometimes where okay. if their one hour window is from six to 7 PM, and they're like at dinner or something and a tester shows up i believe protocol is not to call they just knock um and if if you don't show up that's a missed test and if you have three missed tests in a one-year period you receive a ban from the sport so um yeah you do have three strikes ideally i would like to operate with zero strikes um that does seem so, to be the way to go so yeah i haven't missed one yet I, I mean stuff happens like people forget but um i would i would prefer to have a little zero uh and not be sitting with like two or something yeah that would that would be nerve-wracking i'd be worried i would like sleep through a knock i don't know <laughs> hopefully i mean geez i'm trying to think about that yeah i mean they knock pretty loud um <laughs> okay well there you go they yeah. understand it's like wait we need to get you out here it's not really about being polite you need to pee in a cup yeah and i've never encountered a tester that's like trying to like get you you know <laughs> like suck. like nobody's no, the people that uh the dco is the i think i think it stands for doping control officer or maybe drug control officer um they're not trying to like screw you over um mm-hmm. they want like you to give an honest test and an honest sample. Um, and then like, that's, that's their role in the sport. So, um, yeah, nobody's trying to like knock really quietly and, you know, and, and try to get you for a missed test. I, I haven't encountered, you know, whose tester was that. out to get him. Who's that? As well, Kiprop, potentially. <laughs> that was, that was a complicated situation. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I, not not necessarily something we need to, you know, not necessarily something we need to go into here. Yeah, yeah, that's quite a saga, um, all the stuff that was going on there. But yeah, but yeah, that that's the experience in the U.S. 
Okay, yeah, that, that, no, I mean, it's good to hear that. I feel like that's a little bit of background that people don't typically hear about the whole drug testing process. Um, it does seem pretty hard to miss three if you're being conscientious, but yeah, I mean, things definitely happen. Yeah. Glad, glad that yours was just a normal one yesterday. Also, there is a, there's currently a vehicle, a truck of some sort backing up outside of the window. <laughs> so if there is beeping on the podcast, uh, I could not edit that out. And I'm sorry. <laughs> well, hopefully I'm going to be able to, but we're going to, we're going to see. Yeah. We're not is, that sophisticated been, yet. It's been a couple minutes of just backing up and I don't understand where they're going because you <laughs> can only back up so much. But anyway, um, we should briefly, dude, I want to talk about Sean McGordy. Yeah. Just, just for a little bit. Uh, this past weekend, Dave steeplechase at Mount Sac. Um, hits the Olympic trial standard, hits the Olympic standard, wins the race. Um, he didn't do any steeple races in college or anything. That was so cool watching him win um, and watching him have success in that event. I don't know if you've got any info on on how he's feeling about it just kind of watching him progress and, and kind of i mean i know he's done some steeple stuff for a while now on the team and potentially did like what some sort of time trial with it last year but kind of what's the background there i mean he was always a flat runner in college <laughs> yeah um yeah sean had never steepled in college uh nor high school um but the steeple that he just ran was actually kind of not a long time in the making but um, he probably would have debuted last year uh, if, you know, the pandemic hadn't happened. So um, he was preparing last year to to get ready for a steeple. It just never really happened. Um, yeah, I mean, he's he's been looking really smooth over the barriers. He has a great body for the steeple. Um, it's been really cool watching him and Evan work out together. Uh, they've been doing some some workouts over barriers lately, and uh, it's really cool. You, you kind of have like the 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 master and and the i guess like prodigy or I, I don't know what the right analogy would be there but you know evans that works you know i don't know how many u.s titles he has in the steeple it has to be close to 10 um american He's record been the holder. undisputed best american steepler for the last decade yeah american record holder he has medals like he's he's the greatest american steepler of all time and it, no no debate there um so for sean to be able to learn from a guy like that I, i'm sure has been really, really helpful. Um, and yeah, it's cool watching the two of them get over those barriers. Um, Sean looks better and better over them every time I see him. So, um, yeah, it, it was kind of, a, a secret for a while. Um, just like, you know, d- didn't need like a bunch of media attention for Sean, just like harping him about this steeple debut, but he did a great job. Got a win, um, in his first ever steeple got, the Olympic standard. Um, I, I, people were saying it's the fastest debut steeple by an American ever. Uh, so really impressive stuff. He He's looking great. So um, I'm not really sure what his plan is going forward, if he's going to another, run another one pretty soon or what, but I, I'm sure his confidence is, is growing by the, by the day. No, that that's awesome. We, gotta, we should get him on here too. Uh, <laughs> just talk about it but i don't know if that's something that sean is really usually interested in, in doing but uh <laughs> no it's awesome it's awesome to watch what he did this past week and i mean he's he's been through it a ton with, with injuries and stuff so i think that that would actually be super interesting to hear his perspective on it but it was awesome to see him have that much success on saturday and i mean it feels like it's just starting for him too it's it's a similar start to the sport as evan had uh, i believe evan debuted i think at mount sack um I think it was in an Olympic year 
or maybe going into a it world was. championship. I game. read an article about it. I think he ran eight twenty six, and then that was London, and he he was sixth in London or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So pretty um, solid opener. Yeah, a great opener for Sean, and um, I'm sure kind of deja vu for Evan. Um, so yeah, it'll be cool watching those two continue to kind of work together over the next month or so. I don't know if we said that Sean ran eight twenty. Um, I know we said fastest debut in Olympic standard, but yeah, 820 in the steeple, pretty solid. Um, yeah, that'll be cool. I mean, it's just gotta be so invaluable to have Evan there, especially pacing through 2k and also helping learn the barriers. I mean, all credit to Sean, like such a talented runner and like such a hard worker, but that's gotta be so nice to have Evan in the background and knowing at like trials that your teammate, you know, as Evan, is going to be kind of the favorite everyone's playing off of out there. I mean, that's. And like you just kind of get to run with them and, and potentially, I mean, Sean should also be a favorite now after that time. So uh, potentially be up there. That's sick. That's It's going to be super exciting. Yeah, that, I, that's a great thing about our team. You know, we have a lot of guys that have accomplished a lot in the sport that are willing to help the younger guys out um, and show them the ropes a bit. So um, where you see Evan mentoring Sean, uh, there are, you know, plenty of other guys on the team also mentoring like younger guys like me and Sean. Uh, showing us the way and it's a it's a great environment to be in we just we just had a pod about one of them yeah that's that <laughs> yeah and we, we hope all you guys enjoyed the first half of the Mohamed pod if you have not listened to it um the second you definitely should the second half comes out i don't know this will come out wednesday night thursday morning so maybe it comes out saturday again um or yeah we, we definitely want to get that second half out there we're just talking about doha and the rest of the experiences some uh some big blue workout group stuff about him and Grant over the early uh, early training periods of quarantine. Yep. Yeah, so you guys got that to look forward to. It was super good. Um, we should touch on, just because we talked about it last week a lot, uh, DK Metcalf's 100-meter race <laughs> at, the, at the meet this weekend. Yeah. And honestly, here's my, here's, my, here's my big, you know, track and field analyst take. He kind of did, like, the least controversial outcome, right? Like, we were talking about it. Okay, if he's last by like a lot and he runs like ten eight, it's kind of like LOL. Oh, like, you know, that's embarrassing. If he wins, it's like whoa, this is you know. <laughs> I guess football players talking all that trash this whole time, like they're right. Coming in like a narrow last place in his heat, fifteenth out of seventeen overall, seems kind of like, I don't know, the lowest splash in in the pool. But I don't know what you thought about. I don't know if you watched that or, or saw any of the coverage around it or what you kind of thought. Yeah, I watched it. Um, I thought, you know, the storyline was great. Storyline was super cool. Um, honestly, DK ran better than I expected. I thought, I thought his, Me too. I thought his worst uh, part of his race was going to be a start, just not being used to getting out of blocks and not having his reaction time down. Um, and I was looking at the reaction times out of the blocks because the results posted all those, and he mm-hmm. was actually like middle of the pack on reaction time with these, you know, full-time sprinters. So that was super impressive. Um, he got out really well, had a great drive phase. And just at the end, he just looked like he was just bigger than the other guys. Like, he, yeah, he's moving so fast for how big he is yeah. too, though. I mean, yeah. all muscle and stuff, but geez, dude. Yeah. He, he, he looked, didn't seem to like yeah. hold his, his top end speed as well as the other guys. But I mean, that's a product of, you know, he's built for football. Um, He's also not built for the 100 meter sprint, right? Like, I mean, I feel like they don't usually sprint for more than 40 meters at a time. I mean, yeah. they have the 40 yard dash. And I feel like a lot of plays, you're sprinting like your route, and then you're usually not kind of sustaining it for that long, which I don't normally think of the 100 as an endurance event. And yet, 
it's kind of what it would be to him, I feel like. Yeah, uh, but very impressive. And I liked what he had to say after. He was very, you know, gracious about being included in a field like that. And, uh, you know, seeing how his speed stacks up against real 100 guys. And, um, yeah, I I think it was a good result all around, um, you know, for, for football fans that maybe think football speed is the... the the, the, I guess, quickest speed in any sport. Um, it was kind of a, a cool show that, yeah, he's incredibly talented and incredible athlete. Um, mm-hmm. But track speed is just different. And these guys are specialized in both body type and how they've built their bodies for the 100. Whereas DK is built for running shorter routes and, you know, getting hit. Um, yeah. It's it's just different. Um and yeah, everyone's going to talk about, oh, if he trained for it, like what would happen? Um, I don't know. I mean, his body type is just different. Um, yeah, it, I guess the debate rages on, but I was impressed. I, I was happy it happened and uh, I thought the result was great. Yeah, I mean, I was happy it happened too. I also, so like Ben Crawford had an article that he put on his website, New Generation Track and Field. I couldn't find it before I came on because he replaced something in, his, in the bio already. So I, I couldn't find the link to it where he was talking about how like it was bad for the sport, like it pushed it in the wrong direction. And I I agreed with a lot of the stuff he said in there about how like, oh, the, the marketers of the sport focus too much on like this crossover stuff and not promoting our own athletes. But I also don't think that like having DK here is bad for the sport. You know, like we are gaining eyes. I don't know how, I mean, don't know how much it does positively, right? Like I don't know how many of these football fans who watch because of DK are going to, stick around or watch the next one or any of that stuff but i don't know i mean if it feels like hey eyeballs are eyeballs which is good um i i do think though that like yeah the 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 bigger issue that ben was talking about which i agree with is making him like the main draw of the meat and not really building out the meat or even the hundred you know much around him um kind of has this effect on on the audience of like okay so like the only reason to care about this is because dk's here <laughs> And then, you know, as a result, people maybe change the channel after it's over or after he's eliminated in the heat. So I, I don't know. It's just something to think about. I feel like it definitely isn't like a detriment to have any crossover superstar or to have like Kevin Hart talking about track and field or any of that. But yeah, I think what Ben was saying, which I agree with, is that can't be our only real like attempts to grow the sport, um, which I don't think it is our only attempts. It just might be some of our most visible attempts. I don't know what you feel about any of that. Yeah, that's fair. I. I haven't read that the Ben Crawford article you're talking about, so I, I guess I can't directly comment on anything. But it sounds like it's like a debate of is it better for the sport to have more eyeballs or is it better for the sport to like have people specifically following track athletes um, and like latching onto that? We are certainly I, in the latter camp with this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like... I don't know. I I feel like more eyeballs increases the chance that someone sees like, I don't know, Trayvon Bramell and is like, man, I like that guy. I want to follow him. And maybe they wouldn't have had that opportunity to see uh, a sprinter like that. Or maybe they see Noah Lyles and they're like, man, I like that guy's personality. Uh, They were originally there just to watch DK, but now they've latched on to an individual. Um, Obviously, yeah, these crossovers can't be the only thing that track is doing, but I feel like, I feel like it, you know, this one-off thing, I, 
I feel like DK kind of organized it anyway. It wasn't like track people were like, how do we grow the sport? No, oh. yeah, DK kind of wanted to do it, and then it became like a like it felt very self. I don't know. It didn't feel like it was promoted too out of proportion to kind of the way it was. It wasn't like the biggest thing to happen in the sporting world that weekend. It was just DK was running a track race. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah, it wasn't like the meet was, you know, reached out to him and wanted him to come and had to convince Probably. him. Or USATF, same thing. It, it seemed very, very much driven from DK's camp. So I wouldn't say like this was anyone's attempt to grow the sport. It was just kind of this organic thing that happened. And exactly, you yeah. can debate whether or not it was good or bad. But um, I'd say overall, I'd say it's it's good. Um, obviously, yeah. And I haven't read Ben's article to see the nuances of his, his points. Maybe it would change my mind. Um, but I thought it was pretty good. No, yeah. And I feel like, well, I feel like that's what he kind of meant too, though, in a way, even though it, or like, I think that we both agree that it was it was good, but that there are you know, ways to maybe promote the sport differently but that's also not i mean it's it's always hard for me to like you know talk about like oh we need to do this this and this because the the we in that sentence is always so broad it's like are we yeah. talking about the television networks and which ones and which which carriers of the sport and which teams you know and i think that you know there's there's rarely just one person in control of like the oh track and field media who can kind of make that call so it's so it's definitely tough um but yeah no i i, I pretty much i mean i agree with what you're saying i think that eyeballs are good um if they come at the sacrifice of like the entire event or every other storyline then it's probably bad and yeah. i feel like you know that, that all of that kind of makes sense um but yeah i mean at the end of the day right now where track and field is like a football player running in a track race is going to be like the biggest storyline of the meet um yeah. and, and hopefully that's not always the case um all right, yeah, and then on the outline I have your racing this weekend, which we already covered. Uh, I workouts this week. You had a pretty solid one on Tuesday. That uh, definitely will keep you a little tired for the meet, <laughs> right? Not 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 letting you get too far ahead of yourself. Yeah, yeah. The you know it was a it was a normal workout that we'd have in our cycle. Um, like a everything at five k pace. So. Um, yeah, it was a good workout. We have quite a few days till the race. We don't race till Saturday, and that workout was Tuesday. Um, so we should be pretty recovered. Um, and yeah, I, I'm really looking forward to the race. I, I don't think this workout's going to set us back very much, uh, you know, as far as being prepared for it. So um, yeah, it'll be good. Um, but I, I think Jerry, just in the general picture, didn't want to like completely take this workout light and then race and then take the workout following it light and kind of lose a week and a half of training. Um, when you're not running a 10 K. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you can bounce back from these 15s pretty quick and, um, yeah, I would say like, it, it's a pretty low pressure race for all of us. Um, just because most of us aren't going to run the 15 and the guys that are going to run the 15 already have the standard on our team. So it's, it's pretty low stakes. Just, you know, get back in there, get back in that zone, back in that race environment. Rights, dude. Yeah. Amongst, yeah. Amongst little team bragging rights. There. Yeah. It'll be yeah. fun. No, that does sound super fun. Uh, yeah, we're definitely looking forward to watching it. So that's on Saturday. Do you know when and where, like when and on what people can watch it? Uh, we got to promote the, the 1500 will be Saturday morning. I believe at around 11 a.m. Pacific time. So kind of an odd time. Um, I think it might be televised. I'm not sure. Uh, okay. It, it, the, the meet's hosted by Sound Running. So if anyone is interested in watching 
Um, they have an Instagram account and a website. Uh, I'm sure you'll be able to find it or we might post something about it too. But um, yeah, Sound Running. I believe the meet is called The Track Meet. So, Dude, they uh, stay with that. I love, the, I love the simplicity of their titles. That yeah. Is, that is just something to aspire to. Yeah, there's there's races Friday and Saturday. So um, parts of it will be streamed, I believe, through pay-per-view. I think it's like a $6 pay-per-view event. Whoa. Um, and then other parts, I think, are on TV. So, Like TV TV? Because the other ones that they hosted were definitely not on TV. So that's I kind th- of exciting. I think regular TV. I think that's why we're racing at 11 a.m. because of this TV window. Uh, I could be okay. wrong there. But that would make sense. Yeah. Because otherwise, why would you do that? Yeah, cool. <laughs> nice. Um, that's exciting. So, I guess transitioning to the main thing that we wanted to talk about today, we got a uh, we got another race flashback for you folks. Uh, this is going to be the first one where the protagonist is a member of this podcast. Uh, yes, <laughs> we're going to be talking about the 2013 Footlocker National Championship race that Grant raced uh, as a junior in high school. But first, right before we get to that, the last piece of business we have to handle is this giveaway. Um, the giveaway that is actually happening despite that one dude who DM'd us and was pissed that we took down the giveaway post and pretended it didn't happen, which we think he just got the accounts mixed up because we posted it on Grant's personal. But uh, it is still happening. It's the real thing. Uh, just for him and for everyone. Uh, I just wanted to like thank everyone for participating. We had way more people participate in Grant than I thought would, um, I mean, still not like a ridiculous number. We're not like big shots, but <laughs> it was still like, it was still a really solid amount. I mean, and just everyone, a bunch of people had messages about how much they enjoyed the pod or, you know, some of the specific episodes. A lot of people gave us good feedback on the things they liked the most or didn't like. So just thanks to everyone for kind of, you know, talking with us and helping to build that kind of community. Uh, it's been super fun. Yeah. Uh, I was also surprised with how many people entered, uh, we got a lot of support that I didn't realize was there, uh, which is a cool feeling. Um, and uh, yeah, everyone's feedback was really appreciated. Uh, you know, we're going to continue to try to give, you know, good quality stuff to you guys and uh, talk about things that you want to hear about. So uh, continue to give us any feedback that you have. Uh, I know the, the, the giveaway is kind of over now, but, uh, or we'll do something when, else when we announce eventually. it, but and we'll probably do more giveaways, yeah. But if you have any other feedback, uh, the way to do it would be messaging the the Instagram account or emailing us. Um, yep. And yeah, the the race that we're about to talk about was a requested race uh, qu- by quite a few people. So uh, hopefully these people are, are satisfied with our breakdown. <laughs> I, I hope that they are too, considering that you're going to be the one doing some of it. And, uh, <laughs> it was your race. Uh, so without further ado, uh, there's no drum roll. There would be a drum roll, but again, bad at editing. No, I don't want to go through the process of putting in the sound effects. Um, the winner of the giveaway is Micah Bustamante. Uh, I think he's from Portland based on his Instagram or from somewhere in Oregon. And it looks <laughs> like he'll be attending UO next year. Um, he DM'd us, uh, with his, you know, review and subscription thing. And, uh, because of that, enter just like everyone else. And yeah, he, he is our winner. If people are interested in the details, I won't get into, I mean, there's no reason to, to kind of bore the whole podcast with what exactly we did. But we basically added up every single entry. Uh, people got two if they submitted, you know, both the review and the five star or if 
the five star and the subscription and and some people got a third if they did the comment um there's there's there a whole bunch of ways to enter grant and i went through and added all of them up all of the dms and all of the emails we got um and basically assigned everything a number chronologically and then did a random number generator and yeah we fell on hit so micah we will be dming you uh to get your shoe size for these shoes uh the peg 38s but Again, thank you to everyone for participating. Thank you to the one kid whose name was Grant and said that he should win because, you know, Grant's got to sit together. Uh, <laughs> we, we laughed at that. There are a couple other really good ones. Um, thank you to multiple people that Grant and I know uh, that we've been, including Hari, uh, <laughs> living in my dorm right now, who I was just, we were just not going to be able to give you the shoes, man, even if you won. But it ended up uh, with Micah Bustamante as our winner. Uh, relatively easily like there was no we didn't like accidentally land on our trainer who submitted this and then have to change it so worked out super well yeah yeah so yeah congratulations thanks everyone for for entering um and all the the kind words for all the support that you guys are giving um yeah kind of like connor said my my biggest fear with with this was that the random number generator was going to pick like yeah like our our teammate our Stanford teammate or something. Which I, we wouldn't have done it. I mean, I <laughs> and everyone would have been like, "Oh, it's rigged." But uh, yeah, we probably would have re re uh, regenerated a number if that were to happen. Just just because you know, want it to be like a little more little more fair looking than that. Got to clear yeah, up the optics. I mean, <laughs> this kid said has UO twenty five in his bio. So if he's running on the team, I'd feel a little bit worse about doing this than it's just. <laughs> going to the school there but you know it is what it is i mean it's a it's a random number generator that was the number that was drawn yeah um, technically i guess another bowerman guy could have also entered and we would have had to give him a pair of shoes <laughs> but uh yeah so and and hopefully we'll do more of these or if not giveaways just we've got some other things in store um but yeah thanks everyone for the support so i guess we should you know without further ado move into the 2013 footlocker finals race uh this was definitely the most requested grant race that we got <laughs> um i'd say although there are a lot of different grant races that have been requested and we will go through all of them over <laughs> these period of months um so 2013 grant's a junior in high school oh i'm, I'm gonna be leading this one by the way because it'd be pretty weird if if you did um <laughs> 2013 grant's a junior high school grant did you make it to footlocker as a sophomore too uh no i did run footlocker regionals as a sophomore uh but i i didn't uh place in the top 10 at regionals so i didn't move on to to nationals um yeah i guess before we roll into this thing i another question i get a ton is why did i run footlocker and not nxn in high school uh because those are the two like major competing cross-country championships for high schoolers nike sucks <laughs> is what he's gonna say yeah no <laughs> no the reason <laughs> is that my high school association in michigan uh was very strict and they didn't allow anyone to run an nxn or nxr um that's that's it's, it was that simple i literally had no option to run nxn um up until i think last year they didn't allow any michigan teams to compete at nxn and they just recently are starting to kind of soften up that rule. Um, but back in the day, there was no softening up the rule. There was no working around it. It was kind of like, if you try to compete at NXN, um, then essentially they could take away your high school eligibility. Uh, and I did not want that to happen. So uh, Foot Locker was my only option. Um, 
NXN was, yeah, quite literally off the table. Um, the the high school eligibility thing is interesting because like pre-COVID times, that would have felt like such a bigger deal to me. But now I feel like really good seniors in high school like almost aren't even racing within their uh, within their like state run stuff or like their team races. It's just kind of a new culture with that. But just because of COVID and everything that's happened, I feel like you see a lot of these bigger invitationals and then with like a lot of states just not even having championships this year. I feel like, I mean, back in the day in a non-COVID situation, that, that would never have been like a feasible thing to sacrifice, I guess. But uh, yeah, I feel like Michigan was not the only state that did that because I feel like I remember running into guys who had that same problem, um, but I forget which other states. So yeah, kind of a tough scene there. Yeah, yeah, a little annoying. It, you know, that was, there were the same reasons why I could never race at Arcadia um, in California, Michigan, the association didn't allow us. Um, same with like pen relays, stuff like that. Um, Jeez, that's like so, all the fun ones. So yeah, they were pretty strict. Um, it was weird. They made some exceptions, but other times they were strict on it. So uh, I, I think I think they're a little more loose on it now, which is nice. Uh, but yeah, back back in the day, those were my constraints. You raced Foot Locker instead. Uh, what do you... Your junior year cross country before Foot Locker, are you basically just racing in Michigan in the Midwest then? Or like, did you do any big invitationals um, that you were allowed to go to? <laughs> and kind of what was the season like up to that point, up to and through the regional meet your yeah. junior year? Yeah, my junior year, um, I was just kind of starting to realize that I could be pretty good at the sport uh, going into my junior year, kind of between my sophomore and junior year. Um, I'd had some success like at, at smaller meets in Michigan my sophomore year. Um, but going into my junior year, I trained a lot more in the summer and was was a lot more prepared and really thinking like, hey, running, I think, is something that I really want to do at the next level. And uh, I think I can be pretty good at it. So yeah, leading up, I, um, I had run at a couple invites in the state of Michigan. Um, Portage invite was a big one. Jackson invite was a big one. Uh, if anyone's from Michigan, you, you've probably heard of those. Um, other than that, yeah, smaller meets and stuff. Um, the The Michigan rule was that you couldn't leave the state to race, so uh, we were we were staying within state state lines. Wait, what uh, the hell? That's a thing too. Yeah, it, but they made an like, exception for Foot Locker. States, it was can, weird. Oh my god! Because you can like you can go to like I don't know. I mean, in North Carolina, we don't have the the like cap on on postseason meets anyway but if you could we could always like also go to virginia or like south carolina for a race that is dude that is and some intense like blocking <laughs> of uh of competition there yeah t- technically you weren't allowed to leave the state but yeah for some reason they made exceptions for Foot Locker, um and a, a few other races like the dream mile they made exceptions for uh it, yeah. it was weird it it was very inconsistent so you never knew where they were going to draw the line so that would piss um, me off so much. I would have been just like so mad. Yeah. So that, that type of stuff. Thankfully, you know, there are a lot of really good runners in my class in Michigan. So I uh, got a lot of great competition on some of the invites and um, yeah, went into uh, my state meet and uh, won the state meet and cross. So that was a really big confidence builder. Uh, our cross country meet is at a NASCAR track. So it's a super unique location. Uh, Michigan International Speedway. It's a flat, pretty quick course. Um, and uh, do you run like around the track? Uh, you start in the infield and run maybe half a mile in there. Leave. Uh, you 
there's like mats put down over the the racetrack and you run across that leave the stadium for a bit come back in uh cross back over the the nascar track and then kind of run just inside of of the like the nascar track basically so you're running pretty much half a mile in the stadium at the end um kind of along the track it's a fun course um that seems sick yeah but yeah had a great race there confidence was high um i had run the footlocker regional course before in kenosha the year before and i knew how hilly it was i knew where uh the places to attack were and uh my coach knew it too so we were training doing a lot of hills um accelerations up hills like gear changes up hills stuff like that Um, that midwest one seems like a beast compared to the other three even i guess maybe the other west one's at what like mount sack that seems pretty tough too i just that midwest one also it's always like i don't know if it was always rainy and muddy it seems like when i see the pictures of it it seems like a beast of a course yeah a a true cross-country course um super super fun to run at it starts with a 800 meter hill just straight off the gun and then you weave through the woods and yeah some years it was really cold some years it was muddy wet it, it felt like real cross country. Um, and, uh, yeah, kind of going into that was really trying to prepare for those Hills and also knowing that at, at nationals, if, if I were to make it, it's also a very hilly course. So, um, those Hills leading up to it that in training were very important. Yeah. Bobo park got those Hills. So the regional meet, uh, how did that, how did that go? Or like, you know, you, I, cause you end up winning that, right? Yep. Yeah. So, Going into that meet, um, I didn't really know where I stacked up as far as, you know, the best guys in the region go. Uh, the Midwest is historically a very strong distance running area of the country. Um, and I remember talking to my coach beforehand, Mike Scannell, and I, he was kind of like, okay, this is what we're going to do. And this is where we're going to make the move to win. And I was like, to win, you know, what are you talking about? And he's like, well, why would you come here if you're not going to win? I was like, okay, that's kind of a good to point. Be, to be top 10 coach. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> to go to San Diego, because top 10, I mean, I, most people probably know, but top 10 is what you need to go to the national meet in Foot Locker. Right. There are four regions, uh, Midwest, uh, West, s- South, and the Northeast. Yeah, Northeast. Yeah, Northeast. Um, and the top just, 10, just like what you'd expect with, yeah. uh, with four regions on a, on a Cardinal like compass. Yeah. 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 And, uh, the, yeah, the top 10 at each regional advance to nationals. So there's 40 guys and 40 girls at nationals. Um, but yeah, the, the plan was to win the race and, um, the plan and that was, kind of shocked you or you didn't, you didn't really expect like that. I just didn't know where I squared up against these guys. Um, all I knew was what I saw in like Diestat and the early days of athletic.net, just seeing times and there'd be people that would run, you know, 14 flat on a three mile course. And I'd be like, Whoa, how am I supposed to compete with that guy? Um, back in my early days of not understanding that, you know, cross country courses aren't always exactly what they're, uh, marked as, you know, a what? five, a 5k sometimes what? isn't a five k like to the meter you know yeah so what high school cross country <laughs> courses are you sure yeah so i was just realizing that um but yeah uh the plan was to make a move in the woods um and make the move hard enough that if i got separation it was windy enough that the person behind me would lose sight of me 
Um, so, so the move was almost like a psychological move. If, if I could break it open and, and just get like 15 meters on someone, you'd, you'd essentially vanish. You know, they wouldn't be able to see you because it was so windy through those woods. Um, and yeah, made the move and attacked and, uh, you kind of come down a big downhill into the finish and then it's flat for the last maybe 200 meters to the finish. And, uh, felt really good. I thought for sure someone would come up on me. Um, so I was kind of running scared. And, There's that uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, uh, yeah, won the race and it was like, Whoa, uh, I didn't really expect it to go that well. And, uh, <laughs> so I, I was really happy, kind of shocked. And it was my first time kind of getting like media attention too, uh, from the various reporters there and the, you know, various national websites that, that were big at that time. So it was kind of uncharted territory for me. No, I mean, so then, you know, that's a super exciting thing. Two weeks later, you're you're out in California, or is it three, I forget how many weeks it is, but I think just two weeks later, you're out in California. Um, is that, so that's kind of your first experience racing, you know, I mean, I guess Kenosha's in Wisconsin, but racing kind of out of like the state or the region, right? Yeah. Or besides USATF, like, I don't know if you did the junior stuff, but at least your first like big one in high school. Yeah, yeah. I did some, some youth stuff uh, before that. Uh, which was 16 to 17 year old age bracket. Um, but yeah, flew out to California and, you know, it was super cool just being in Michigan. Uh, the national championship in was in uh, San Diego and it's, I feel like it's usually around December 11th or 12th that it happens. It's one weekend after Nike. And I feel like Nike is one weekend after, uh, thanksgiving or maybe i don't know yeah december 12th sounds right like yeah weekend so it was always great you know you leave michigan it's cold it's snowy and windy and training is kind of like annoying to get through and you fly to to you know sunny san diego and there's palm trees yeah and yeah you stay on coronado island at this uh old hotel that's gorgeous you're right on the beach so it's just such a drastic change coming from the midwest to uh, this like paradise, basically, uh, right on the beach. Uh, it, it, I remember when I first showed up, I was like, man, how am I going to race? Like, I'm so distracted by just, I just want to go hang on the beach and chill and, um, <laughs> stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, the buildup was cool. And, uh, yeah, went into the race with, with quite a bit of confidence coming off of that regional meet. Yeah. And then, so, you know, there, there's pre-meet where you, like you said, a lot of distraction, but I feel like some people come to national meets, especially as individuals and like, don't talk to anyone or very head down focused. Did you kind of walk that line or were on the other side? Were you like not even paying any attention to what was going on? I doubt this. I doubt the latter one, knowing <laughs> you, but we'll see. Uh, I probably was somewhere in the middle. Um, it was just an interesting experience to have 40 top guys in the country all together in one spot. And we kind of all knew each other's names just because, you know, we had seen results and stuff, but, you know, you didn't really know people um, that well. Social media was kind of just at its infancy then. So there wasn't really like looking at someone's socials and like seeing what the personality was or anything. So it was cool getting to meet people. And, um, you know, a lot of the people that I met at that meet, um, quite a few of them actually became future teammates at Stanford. Most of them yeah. were people that I raced uh, later in college. Um, so it was a really, really cool experience just kind of showing up and being surrounded by really similar people to me. 
This was also, so there's a couple of things with that. This is also when, I mean, maybe you disagree, but I feel like you wouldn't. This is when Foot Locker was definitely the, the meat that the top individuals in the country for the most part went to there would be a couple who went to nxn if they had really good teams or something but it seems like this was still part of that era when Foot Locker was drawing in the top individuals every year or approximately yeah i'd say the era was there um it seems to have shifted a little bit since then um mm-hmm. at the time nxn was viewed more as a team temp- championship uh i feel like by the masses and uh, Foot Locker as more of an individual championship. Uh, there were top guys that probably could have competed for uh, top spots at Foot Locker that chose to run NXN instead, um, and and you know be there with their team, which is you know that's a tough decision to make either way. Um, I didn't have to make that decision, so uh, it was kind of a no-brainer for me. But yeah, a lot of guys got caught. Uh, I believe it's California where they had some tough situations with qualification where their state meet was on the same day as qualification for either NXN or Foot Locker. And, you know, there's all this so mess actually, with at-large bids. It's actually most regions except for the for the Midwest dude, really? and, and oh. Texas. Um, the entire southeast, east of Texas, is in the same situation because the regional meets for both are on the same day. Gotcha. California is interesting because the state meet is the week before NXN and then the Foot Locker regional meet is the week of NXN usually. So if you make it through the state meet, a lot of the time you just run that. But back in that day, people would concede that bid and go run the Foot Locker regional anyway, a lot of the time. Um, and then the Northeast is also Foot Locker and Nike regionals on the same day, the Midwest, and then like parts out like South Southwest area, where some of the only ones where you could actually do both but then yeah even in those western parts you usually had to decide between running nike or running the footlocker regional so yeah uh it's usually not as cut and dry but i mean that, that i mean that, that's a classic high school conundrum i feel like a lot of people face <laughs> it's a lot easier almost when your team is not there because you don't have to make that decision uh, especially when nike was viewed maybe as more of a team title like you said nowadays yeah i mean it's definitely trending in the other direction but uh, but it'll be interesting to see how it how it comes out of this pandemic too. Yeah yeah totally. Yeah but uh so then you know getting into the actual race itself, um you win regionals is kind of a confidence booster. Do you start? I mean you have to think about winning nationals, but is it kind of the same mentality of like these guys? You know I don't really know where I stack up, or are you more set that hey I'm gonna run this race my way and kind of execute it because I won the regional meet I'm one of the top guys. Yeah, it was uh, it was honestly kind of a similar situation to going into the regional meet. Um, I was seeing all these guys, didn't know how I stacked up on the national level. People that I had seen run really fast times in track and in cross. Um, guys that were a year older than me, some seniors. Um, people, I remember people had run a uh, a time trial uh, maybe a week before nationals and had ripped like 850 or something, which was, Whoa. was really, really impressive. Uh, I know a lot of kids run 850 now, I guess, but back, back in the day, you ran <laughs> 850, you were pretty day. legit. Um, so I was kind of, Oh, like, you're still legit if you run 850 now. Oh yeah. Yeah. You yeah. were like legit. But there legit, were just less people legit. that did it then. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. I feel like maybe you'd get like five guys in the country run 850 or faster then. Mm-hmm. Um, the number has to be closer to maybe 30 now. Uh, which is cool, but 850 was a, you know, 
it was almost like a little intimidation swing at everybody. I was like, damn, this guy's fit. Um, so yeah, I, I, I didn't really know where I was going to be, but yeah, I talked to my coach again before we did, uh, we did pre-meet the day before and I was talking to him and we ran through the course and he said, you know, this is where you're going to make your move to win. And again, I was like, again, I was like, what? There wasn't even a discussion, you know? It was just like, was it the downhill? Can you tell us? It was the downhill. Yeah. I knew it was Um, the frigging downhill. So it was like, because you do, but (laughs) (laughs) this is where you're going to make your move to win. And, uh, you know, my, my high school coach, yeah, Mike, he, he coaches down in Arizona now at Brophy high school. Um, so anyone that's ever encountered Mike knows, you know, he has a certain intensity to him, um, and a certain amount of, you know, when he tells you to do something, you just kind of do it, you know? Like there's no uh, thinking like, but, 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 you know, you, you just, you just do it. Um, so he said, this is where you're going to make the move to win. And I said, okay. Um, and yeah, well, I was kind of shocked, so that's but, the pre. but yeah, that's that was, pre, that's the premium. We don't want, <laughs> that was the premium. We got to actually go through it. Yeah. Yeah. So that's everything building up to it. So the race actually starts though. And I think, I don't know, I was reading a recap article because you got to be prepared for these types of things when you're doing the (laughs) race review with an actual competitor. Um, I think they said like it went out faster 400 than slowed a lot down. Uh, What do you remember about the start? Because it's kind of like that downhill start and then you do a little loop. What do you remember about that? Like, were you just focused on getting out? I mean, clearly you don't win a race in the first 800 meters or mile. Yeah, the the course is, uh, it's a two loop course and from the start to, yeah, about 400 to go, it's quite downhill. Um, you kind of bomb down this hill. Um, I think they call it like the dog park loop or something like that. It's a, a bit dusty and, and downhill. So um, most of the time, I'm pretty sure the race gets out pretty hard just because everyone's nervous. You're excited. You know, a lot of people, including myself, have never really been on the national stage before. Um, you just kind of got nerves and, and you kind of burn them off in that first 400. So, um, I was expecting it to go out pretty quick. Uh, and then we settled, uh, you do kind of a, a hairpin turn after that 400 and then come kind of back uphill. So it kind of naturally settled into a bit of a, a rhythm there. So Matthew Maton is kind of in the lead, but there's still a, you know, all 40 guys still seem to be in it. And then around five and a half minutes, we get the first leader from who would eventually go to Stanford university, Patrick Perrier um right to the front who was a teammate of ours for a couple of years i uh meanwhile you're just kind of sitting there in the mid pack um eventually guys are kind of alternating in and out of the lead and you don't you don't seem to get caught up in any of that stuff i don't know i mean was that the plan were you just for sure not touching the lead until i don't know 500 600 to go or could you have touched it earlier in the right situation um you know, looking back at the race, it's, it is really interesting watching everybody's tactics. Um, it, it just looks like we're all like young and kind of unexperienced. Uh, there's never like just one leader. Um, there's always five guys across kind of jostling around and one guy will go to the lead for, you know, 30 seconds and then someone else will be pseudo in the lead, but not like breaking away. And, um, just like kind of churning through, especially in that front pack. Um, none of us really are. Like you're actually, super... you're at the lead. You're on the shoulder of Perrier and you're like on the lead at six minutes, actually. Um, I don't know if you even remember that, but yeah, you're like, like 
front facing like first guy in the line for some of the stuff and then but it seems like you don't want the lead so much that you just kind of end up there i don't know if that's a fair thing to say yeah um i wanted to be near the front in case there was any crazy moves that were made that was kind of the the main goal but still conserve energy but you could you could still see just like the nerves almost of just being antsy up there wanting to be close to the lead wanting to like see the front at all times um I think one one factor that goes into that is that most of the people in that race are used to being in the front. Uh, wherever they live or mm-hmm. come from, they're probably the best in their area. Um, so for a lot of people, including myself, it was a bit of a foreign feeling being surrounded by people while running a pretty quick pace um, and also not necessarily being in the lead or, or anything like that. So um, yeah, it, it is funny watching. I mean, just it's funny just watching my form back then too. I'm, I'm just like, it looks like I'm still growing into my body. I'm like kind of gangly. Uh, you know, my <laughs> arms are just kind of flopping around. Um, definitely not like refined by any means. Um, but yeah, it's at, at that point in the race, the, the goal is to conserve energy. Um, was I doing a perfect job of that? Probably not just because I was caught in that cycle of like pseudo leading, but, um, Mm -hmm. there weren't any hard moves made. So, um, just kind of floated along in that pack, um, trying to, to, to not, you know, use too much energy. Well, it's super interesting. Like Joe Hardy takes the lead the second time you guys go through the, the little dog park loop down there, right? When you, when you come through what would be the finish line on the next lap. Um, and it looks like he almost has a gap for like, a half a second and then all of a sudden there's right back to like eight guys on his shoulders including you it just it, it feels like no one it's it's almost a hard race to analyze just because of those nerves that you're talking about it didn't feel like anyone made a substantial move to the lead and like made the race in any way for a long time um but then after i don't know at around like the 10 10 and a half minute mark blair herlock who also attends attends stanford university in the future um goes to the lead alex osberg is up there uh that was just a really neat thing to see especially you guys as some youngins um (laughs) so we get about to that 10 minute mark and blair goes off to lead blair stays in the lead for that next like 1200 meters and then i don't know if you remember it's like super clear on the video uh because you you get up on blair's shoulder and then it seems like blair almost like misses a turn uh i don't do you remember that at all happening yeah. Um, so, so also to, to backtrack a little bit, the, the course is two loops and there's one massive hill, uh, that you run both times. And that's kind of like the, the make or break point in the race. Most years, uh, the second loop, that's often where people will attack. And, um, a lot of times where the race gets ripped open and it's clear who's, you know, in the, in the top pack fighting for, you know, the top five spots or so, and who's not. Um, so I think everybody knowing that and, um, overall the race had a lot of juniors in it. Um, there weren't a lot of people that have been to the course before. So I think people were a little hesitant to attack early, um, just with that hill looming, um, later in the race. And yeah, we, we come through the second lap, uh, people are getting antsy. There's like little mini moves being made, but nobody's really breaking away. Um, I remember Joe kind of pushes it a little bit. Um, and Blair goes to the front and what happens is there's, there's the lead cart with the camera on it. And for most of the race, it's right in front of you, 
but right before the hill, uh, it takes a different path than the course. And Blair was in the lead and he accidentally followed the cart for like a few steps and was about to run off the course. Oh. Um, and we kind of like yelled at him like, yo, Blair. <laughs> and then he darted back on. You can, you can hear the announcers being like, oh, no. <laughs> yeah. I mean, at that point like, in the race, oh, you're, no one, no you're one tired wants to see that. and you're locked in and you're kind of just following. And all you can really think about is that hill that's coming up. So you're not really thinking that the thing that you've been following is going to veer off the course. So uh, I don't blame Blair for making that mistake, but um, yeah, we, we approached the hill. Everyone's tired, but everyone knows that this is where the race happens. This is where, you know, your finishing position in the race is determined. Um, I remember before watch or before running in the race, because I'd never been to Foot Locker before I'd watched, a few uh like races on youtube of previous races there and it seemed like pretty much wherever you whatever position you were coming off of that hill was basically where you finished in the race there there wasn't a lot of shuffling after the hill the shuffling kind of happened at the hill and then um wherever you landed that's kind of where you finished most most likely um are you talking about the uphill or the, the downhill uphill, specifically cuz okay cuz i feel like it's kind of there's two aspects, obviously, and the uphill and downhill. Like my year too, like someone won it on the downhill, like Reed Brown. So I, I feel like you're right that things don't shuffle a ton, but at the same time, I feel like that downhill is being is used a ton as well. Yeah, that that is true. So so the way that the hill goes, it's really steep at the start, gets a little more gradual, and then kind of rounds out, and it's almost like a yeah, you make a left hand turn, and it's almost like a plateau at the top. You have maybe. I don't know, a hundred meters of flat running before you make another hard left and just kind of bomb down this hill. Um, and the hill is, it's pretty steep on the way down. You know, if you're not used to running up and down hills, it's an easy place to roll an ankle or trip or, or anything like that. So, um, most of the time people are pretty cautious on that downhill and, uh, kind of like we alluded to a little earlier, speaking to my coach before the race, the plan was to make make a move on that downhill and attack that downhill where most people are going to let up and ease off because they just ran this really hard hill that's when we're going to be most aggressive when people are trying to like take a mental recharge before uh hitting the bottom of the hill and and uh and kicking for home so on the way up the hill uh it's john dressel that rips the race open he makes a super aggressive move on the uphill just you know rips the race apart at the pack that was once you know 20 guys deep is now completely strung out and we're running single file or alone um and man when he made that move i was like i don't know if i can cover that one uh it was aggressive and it was strong um john's a a really strong racer and uh, like definitely seemed to come from a strength background and really excelled on that hill and uh Gapped me a little bit, gapped the field a little bit. Um, but I knew that when we got to the top, or I was hoping when we got to the top, he would ease off the gas a little bit uh, and, and you know, try to reset again because, you know, that's the big move. And then um, especially if he felt nobody on his shoulder, maybe he would ease off the gas a little bit. So he gets to the top. I'm, you know, a couple meters back at this point. There's definitely daylight between us. Uh, legs are hurting. Um 
if you see my face, like I'm clearly sucking wind, like my mouth is wide open, just trying to, trying to survive that attack. Um, and John is moving very quickly on, on the plateau part, on that flat part, uh, which I was, I was not too happy about cause I was hoping he'd slow down. Uh, it's not <laughs> ideal. Yeah. I mean, he almost caught the cart at one point. Uh, he was going so quick and I finally kind of get within striking distance of him. And my coach is at the top right before the downhill. And he yells at me like, now's the time, basically. Like, it's now or never, do it now. And uh, make the left-hand turn. And my legs are dead, but just try to bomb that downhill. And I was a little bit, I was on the border of out of control, um, trying to lean forward. And basically I'm like falling down the hill and catching myself with each step. I'm not really running. and I had a ton of momentum and there's no way I was slowing down and, you know, ripped by John, um, who was running it a little more conservatively and, uh, opened up some daylight between us. And, uh, yeah, from the bottom of the hill to the finish is probably around 800 meters if I remember correctly. Uh, so there's still a decent amount of time to have stuff get sorted out. Um, and at this point it's clear that he and I have broken away. We had been practicing, running downhills, uh, in practice leading up to that race. Um, my coach knew the course and, uh, he knew there was that downhill. So we would do hills leading up to it, um, on this, this road called Perryville road, which is a little bit South of the town. I grew up in Michigan. Um, and, uh, it would just be me and him out there and we would do hills and then we would finish with strides down the hill. Um, which is quite uncommon, I would say. Uh, And that was in preparation to be used to have really tired legs and practice running down the hill, you know, on that borderline of out of control and in control, using your momentum, using the gravity to take you rather than, you know, maybe your your aerobic power to take you. And so I got pretty good at running down hills and, and running pretty quickly down hills, especially when I was tired. So that all paid off on that downhill when I was able to make up a ton of ground on John, um, where, where maybe he had more aerobic strength and power on the uphill. I had more experience on those downhills. My year at Foot Locker, Reed Brown did the same thing. He, I was still like maybe 20 or 30 meters back at the lead. Like I could, if I had bombed the downhill, potentially have done it. I just remember feeling like I was leaning back on the downhill to not fall. And I remembered him just being able to like lean forward into it. And I hadn't practiced downhills more than, you know, just a normal runner. And it's so interesting to hear that you, you practice that downhill because it's such an underrated aspect of cross country running. You know, everyone does uphills um, and that downhills, you know, there's that associated, like that beats up your body, probably the most of any type of running um, flat or uphill or downhill. It's probably going to be downhill beating it up, but to, to do that and to like practice how to like stay under your legs um, running that fast is, I think, really, really interesting. Um, it definitely, yeah, I mean, that that's such a unique aspect of the Foot Locker course, that steep downhill. And it seems like, you know, it brought you back into that race because then it's still really close between you and John. But without that downhill, I mean, who knows if you're able to, I mean, you probably could bridge the gap, but who knows if you're for sure able to bridge that gap. Yeah, if, you know, if the course had that big uphill and then it was flat until the finish, I don't think I would have been able to bridge that gap. That that downhill was crucial to both my race plan and, you know, my ability to mentally get back into the race. 
I, I think, yeah, if it were flat or continually uphill, John would have for sure ripped me apart that last 800 meters. Um, but knowing that downhill was there, knowing I had experience in it, and also kind of knowing that most people didn't have the experience doing it gave me the confidence to, to lean forward, lean into it and take a little bit of a risk, but use gravity to my advantage and, and, you know, make up a gap and create a gap of my own. So you end up, you're like a bit in front of him after the hill, right? After that big push, like you go from back like 15 or 20 meters. So I feel like right after the bottom of the hill, you're up maybe about 10 or 15. Yeah. Uh, a little bit. Like it seems like you gap him. Like it almost, did you think in that moment, like I've got it or did you know he was coming back? Uh, I didn't know for sure. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I ripped down the hill and I ripped by John and that was a big confidence boost. Um, and yeah, going from being down 15, 20 meters to up 15 meters is quite a big swing in the, you know, maybe 200 meters that that downhill is. But I knew I was tired and uh, <laughs> and I, I knew <laughs> I knew I was tired. And that downhill was my rip the race open move. Um, and you don't get too many of those. So I knew I had to keep pressing and uh, I knew John was going to fight as hard as he could. Um, and he came back on me quite quickly, actually. That I mean, and that shows like, you know, how strong he was and, and how you know tough he was being able to come back from that. He uh, So you get to this bottom of the hill and I know you said a second ago it's about 800 meters. I don't know. I feel like it's less. I feel like it might be like 600. I feel like I'm sure in the moment it probably yeah, feels Yeah, uh, it definitely feels like 800. It, it feels like a mile, man. It Like you're just so fried from the up and down. And then, yeah, you yeah. have this this stretch to the finish and it's tough. So this is the part of the race that everyone talks about when they talk about 2013 Footlocker. Because <laughs> you and John bump like repeatedly in this last 600 meters. The first time, it, I mean, to be fair, it's a pretty windy little bit there because you, you end up like going left and then right and you cross the road and you kind of go left and right again. It's like just all these little like chicanes almost <laughs> to take like an F1 turn or something. Like, like I feel like also in high school, everyone is just told religiously like, follow the tangents like no matter what you know like don't think just run in straight line and you kind of do and it seems like because i watched it and i would tell you if i thought you were at fault it really seems like you guys are both trying to run straight lines that intersect it, it doesn't really seem like you you go into him or he goes into you at all like there's one like he's trying not to get cut off into a corner but you're running in a straight line in front of him and it's just like uh, it's just it's weird because it is such a wide space you wouldn't think that y'all would be bumping and you are but it seems like everyone's running in a straight line. It was super weird. Yeah, the the way the course goes, yeah, it is windy that last little bit. And like you said, you want to run the shortest inch distance. You want to run that tangent. So even though the course is 15 meters wide, the band that you actually want to run in is maybe a meter wide. Um, if you want to, you know, cut these corners as, as best as you can. And yeah, I, I had the lead and um, John came up on me and uh, he let me know he was there. And, uh, you know, that wasn't, that was kind of a foreign feeling to me. You know, I, I came from a soccer background, so I was used to physical contact when you're running and stuff, but just in Michigan, you know, that late in the race, usually I was running alone by that point. And I'm sure for John at that point, he was also used to running alone. So yeah, there was a little bit of bumping trying to get that optimal, uh, that optimal spot around those corners. And, um, that just naturally happens, you know, you're tired, you're not like 
you know, your form's probably not all put together. And uh, yeah, you want to run as short of a distance as possible. But yeah, just just take me through this last 400 here. <laughs> all right, so um, from what I can remember, and this, these are probably biased opinions because they're about myself, but we're coming around one corner and uh, John comes up behind me and kind of gives me a little, a little forearm tap, um, trying to squeeze yeah. that inside. And uh, I don't really like that. <laughs> and uh, there was another corner and we bump into each other again and uh, I'm not liking that either. Um, you know, clearly we're both exhausted. You know, I'm pumping my arms as fast as I can. I, I'm breathing as hard as I can, trying to drive my legs up. And at one point with maybe maybe 200 to go, we round a fi- 200 to go, he really cuts We round We round a final corner and uh, we're kind of next to each other. Maybe John has a step on me and... Uh, he makes a hard cut in front of me to get around this corner um, to run that tangent. Yeah. And uh, it kind of kind of flings me into like the road. There's there's a road that you cross with like 200 to go right after that corner. And there's a mat down for you to run on. Um, but because we were bumping into each other and stuff, I ran on the concrete because, um, you know, we were just like bumping each other neck and neck. And, you know, coming off of that, I, I wasn't too happy. <laughs> um, didn't didn't really like that move, um, and uh, I knew we had maybe 150 meters left max. Um, and the the way that the course goes, it it kind of goes uphill for maybe 75 meters, and then you crest and it goes kind of downhill for 75 meters to the finish, and it kind of curls to the left as that happens. And John has the jump on me at this point, and. I try my best to to make up as much ground as I can and come up on him on his right side. Um, and at that point, I kind of knew I had the momentum. Um, I was confident mm-hmm. that that I had this race. Um, I could kind of see the blood and I could see the finish. And I knew that the momentum was was there for me. Um, and we... we uh, we start to kind of converge a little bit again as I'm coming up on him. Um, that last one, I feel like he does kind of move. Yeah, I mean, I, and and the second last one now that I'm rewatching. And and, it. and I don't, you know, I don't blame John at all. I mean, it's racing. You know, you bump into each other sometimes. Um, but as the course was curling left, I felt John kind of drifting to the right, and you know, after us bumping into each other so many times, it was kind of like, you know, if this is the way we're gonna play, then this is the way we're gonna play. Uh, I'm not going to step out of the way <laughs> to go around you. And we bump into each other and um, I bounce off one way, he bounces off the other way. And uh, then it's downhill to the finish. So basically, if you have the momentum, you're you're going to finish well. And he lost his. And not just because of the bump. It felt like the bump was like the very last bit of energy that he had more than it was like the thing that took everything away from him. Yeah. You know? It felt like that was like the last chance to almost hold you back. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, that's because you were coming. It, yeah. It, it's fair. I mean, he did lose his momentum on the bump and I maintained a little more. Um, maybe it's because I knew the bump was coming and could brace myself. Um, there were bumps earlier in the race where I <laughs> like lost a little momentum from the bump. Um, it, it's part of racing. That's, that's how it goes. Um, in my opinion, at least I, uh, you, anyone listening can watch the race and make the decision for themselves. Uh, 
I, I know I caught a bit of heat after that one for, for being a, a dirty racer, but in my opinion, that, that was racing and that's how it goes. Uh, there are multiple bumps and, uh, John ran an incredible race. He, you know, ripped open the field and it took everything I had to, to come back. Um, and he came back from, from a deficit as well. Uh, I raced him a ton in college. He's a great racer, a great runner. Um, I have great respect for John. Um, and yeah, I don't think either of us colliding with each other was out of malice or anything. It just was happening. That's what happens when you're going all out, um, neck and neck to the end. Well, especially in high school. And, uh, and yeah, I feel like it evens out because yeah, maybe, I mean, that last one could go either way, but at the same time, like the preceding two, but especially that, that second one, when you're running onto the, to the road, if people are watching it, it's like, you're in front of him about to make a right turn and he comes in front of you, jumps inside and you run, you, you basically hit this like pole, <laughs> like on the edge of the course. Um, and like, that would have been a full stop for almost, I feel like anyone else in the field, like. I could see myself going through that at, you know, the three mile mark of a 5k like that. And you're going uphill, you lose everything. So I feel like at the very worst for you, it evens out. If not, like, you know, it, it can go either way. And like you said, I mean, it's racing. It happens, especially when you're young, especially when like no one's used to being that tired and still having to run next to somebody. I mean, there, there's a whole lot of factors that go into it yeah i miss inter- did you guys like fight afterwards just like in the parking lot What's the yeah we took it out back no it was yeah i didn't have any bad blood with john um after that and like yeah i it, i mean again i'm biased here but that's just the way the race went and that's the way it developed and yeah i, I think it would be different if one of us just all of a sudden just slammed into the other but because mm-hmm. you know it, it was it, it built up to to more and more contact each time we kind of collided. So it was a fun race. I, I look back on that one with, with a smile. Um, it was, it was like my burst onto the, the national scene. I'd gone from, you know, being good in Michigan to being good on the national stage. And with that came attention from people, media attention, pressure, all these things that led to, the rest of my high school career led to my college career and, and now pro career. And that's kind of where it kicked off. Um, so it's a cool feeling looking back and seeing just like how young I was and how like much I had to learn even from then, you know, I had no idea at the time what, what was coming for me, what, you know, the next few years would hold what, you know, it's, that was 2013, it's 2021 now, what, you know, the next decade or so would hold for me. And, and it's cool to look back and, and kind of feel those emotions again that I felt uh, when I was young. Hey, and we, we will get into some of what that next decade held <laughs> um, for you for you over these next weeks and, you know, what this what this future, these future months might hold. Um, I th- yeah, I think that's a pretty solid summary of, of everything that went down. I mean, Foot Locker is always a really special race. Um, yeah, and it, it's awesome to get to do that deep dive into something that you personally experienced this time. Uh I feel like that's probably we also we've also gone a lot longer than i thought we would go this episode which yeah. is you know always a fun <laughs> one uh just so people know because this is going to come out now like a thursday afternoon evening uh our bad we had the drug testing and then we didn't finish this recording when we recorded on wednesday and now it's thursday we took a little break it's the magic of editing um and now we're here right before grant flies out so uh 
Yeah, I mean, just we we got it in though. We got the pot in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll. I guess. I guess if you listen to this, it'll be released. I was gonna say we'll release this as soon as we can, but. Um, yeah, you know, we're gonna release it this evening, uh, Thursday yeah. afternoon evening for sure. I'm gonna get on the stick. Nice. Right this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then we might we might move the mo pod to Monday then just to make room for yeah. for everything. But uh, it'll come out. And yeah, we've now since we started this recording, we've now actually Instagrammed out who won the giveaway. So it's already it's already old yep, news yeah instagram giveaway is over but yeah hopefully we'll we'll do another one in the future um maybe maybe some spikes maybe some clothes um what yeah tell us what you guys want if you if you want another giveaway and if you have more questions or races you want us to jump into or um anything like that just let us know yeah yeah oh and grant guess what? what's that the uh j cole's new album coming out i think tonight at 9 p.m or is it tomorrow at 9 p.m I, i'm always confused about how album drops work <laughs> but uh it's coming it's coming so uh we got that to look forward to as well yeah yeah maybe i'll listen to that before my race yeah i don't know i mean i don't he, he doesn't have very many like pre-race type <laughs> vibe songs i feel like i mean middle child everyone, everyone knows <laughs> but uh there's not there's not a ton but yeah i i, I hope so I, I would love nothing yeah. more yeah and then oh, man so we'll, we'll yeah we'll drop the mopod early next week um is there anything else we gotta say i think that's about it yeah we've gone on long enough uh thank you thank you all for listening uh to another episode of the half step pod and we'll catch you next yeah thanks guys later